Welcome back to another installment of the podcast for cultural reformation brought to you by the Ezra Institute. This is Worldview Wednesday. It's passed down as a prophecy every year about this time. Our host for today's episode is Ryan Eras. Welcome back one and all. This is the podcast for cultural reformation brought to you by the Ezra Institute. I'm Ryan Aris, and I'm again joined by Nathan Oblak and Dr. Joe Boot. Guys, we are here to kick off season five. Mm. Wow. It's, mm-hmm. it's becoming like Star Trek. This. We're <laughs> going to get seven seasons. Yeah. Yeah. How are we still on the air? And then, uh, then a movie. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> when is the first movie? <laughs> oh. <laughs> I got to talk to a guy. We had Marcus Pittman on last week, actually, for yeah. a, uh, th- to end out the summer. We can talk to him about making a movie. <laughs> <laughs> but we are, uh, so we're, we're glad to be back. Welcome, uh, welcome back to the show. What, uh, what happened? Where, where did we all go this summer? We were, uh, we were running some other, uh, <laughs> other programming through the summer. I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, by the way, before we get there, that was uh, anyone who's been listening, anyone who is just joining us, uh, we partnered with Answers in Genesis Canada to produce a, a short series on uh, what is it? Cre- creation, cross, and culture. And that uh, that series is available uh, here on the podcast in uh, in audio format. You can also find that on AIG's channel on YouTube. Uh, there is video to go along with that as well. Well, and I know uh, now here we sit at the end of the summer, and we've run out of conspiracy theories they've all come true so i'm not sure what we're going to talk about in right. today's episode right. but let's uh, <laughs> go back go back and retread <laughs> that's right <laughs> but no here at the ezra institute we had a really uh busy summer we uh held our h evan runner international academy we had about 20 delegates come through for that it was a wonderful week mm-hmm. uh with many uh young committed believers that are eager to get out there and profess christ in whichever sphere they find themselves engaged in and we had the uh, Worldview Leadership Camp as well. We had two separate weeks for uh, young students to come through. Uh, that was a wonderful time with uh, with uh, many wonderful young people from Southern Ontario. Mm-hmm. And uh, now we're looking ahead to a few more events in the fall. Uh, November 15th, we've got our Niagara Declaration Conference. That's right. And uh, actually, as of yesterday, uh, it just sold out, sold out in under two weeks. So we were uh, very excited to see that. Is that a record for us? That's a it's record by a long shot. Yeah. yeah. By Absolutely. country mile, yeah, as they not, say. It's not even close. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but if you are a, a pastor or an elder uh, or a church ministry leader, there are uh, spots left in our church and culture pastors colloquium. So if you did sign up for that, which is happening that week of the conference, the, the conference itself is part of the program. So again, if you're a pastor, elder, ministry leader, Still time to sign up for that program. Uh, it'll be November 15th to the 19th, and uh, you'll be able to fit into a conference that otherwise is already sold out. In many respects, it was a it was an excellent summer, especially given the limitations and the conditions, the restrictions we were under. We obviously we couldn't get any of our international faculty into yeah. the, the yeah. country, so that was that was major for us. We couldn't get any of our international students in. And despite that, we filled those two worldview leadership programs and had a really good complement for the Runner Academy. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, 
it's disappointing not to be able to have our fellows here mm-hmm. uh, uh, teaching uh, that, that, you know, come from Europe and the United States. But we did have a few of our Canadian fellows with us. And um, despite those limitations, we managed to, to, to see three, um, uh, well, two programs, three weeks of just mm-hmm. just very, very exciting programming. And then, of course, we all had a little bit of vacation. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then I was away in, in Europe for three weeks, for three weeks in, in, uh, in, in the last few weeks. So it's been a kind of a bit of a stretch uh, since we've been sat in the Knox Cellar for That's our right. podcast. So it's actually sure. really... Mm-hmm. exciting and encouraging to be back now mm-hmm. uh, together and uh, in this new season taking things forward we've got a we've got a lot that's going to be happening in the next uh, in in the months that lie ahead here mm-hmm. definitely so guys here we are and we're uh, we're continuing with our regular Wednesday release date we're recording this on a Tuesday and we uh, we woke up this morning here in Canada uh, after an election day <laughs> to find that uh, the world is not at all changed mm-hmm. uh, in terms of our uh, in terms mm-hmm. of the political landscape. So before without without spending too much time on uh, election analysis, how did uh, and other other than the result itself, how how did this go? How did it? Uh, what what did you notice about the election cycle this time around? Was there anything that uh, that stood out to you? Anything that uh, that gave you cause for you know anything to note, positive or negative? You saying was there something to punctuate the dreariness? Hmm. That's that's a good way to put it. <laughs> yeah. How do you uh, how do you bear up under this uh, <laughs> crushing tide of mm-hmm. ennui? <laughs> well, I mean, I think I think all of us. Uh, in the lead up to this, we're predicting that that um, it was going to be another liberal government. Mm-hmm. I don't think yeah. uh, any of us in this room were in any doubt about that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we were also predicting uh, that it would be a probably a liberal minority. I think if uh, you could point to a, a couple of interesting things, um, you've had um, some some minor gains for the NDP. So. Uh, there's a, uh, in terms of the balance of power, once again, it's actually with the hard left, um, mm-hmm. in the Canadian parliament, because I think it was 119 seats to the conservatives and was it 158 to, um, I think 158 to the liberals. That's right. Um, and so not much changed there at all. It was pretty much like 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, balance of power sits with the most radical, uh, uh, if it can get more radical than Trudeau, um, the, the most radical faction of Canadian politics. Um, you saw some, what we also anticipated was some minor gains for the People's Party of Canada in terms of the popular vote. They didn't mm-hmm. get any seats, yeah, but right. yeah. I think the popular vote went from 1.6 to maybe around 5%. Yeah, yeah just maybe a bit higher. Five, I think. Right. A yeah. bit higher. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. that probably actually is a fairly accurate representation of, of, of what we have left of conservatism in, yeah. of, of, a, of a conservatism that is actually concerned for social conservatism, right. charter rights and freedoms as a, and economic fiscal responsibility as a priority is about 5%, right? About 5% of the population. Mm-hmm. And the, the rest seem very happy to vote for Shades of Red, which is uh, really what we're looking at now. Mm. I mean, I read the, uh, I think uh, um, there was a piece that appeared today in The Spectator that really kind of, to keep it short, 
summed the whole thing up for me uh, just perfectly mm-hmm. uh, uh, of what's uh, just taken place. Um, and it, um, he occasionally writes a pretty pretty sharp article, and it was um, Conrad Black's article in The Spectator. Oh, okay. And he says, and I'm quoting now, Canada has just surpassed even its own previous records for absurd and boring elections, <laughs> <laughs> yielding predictable and dreary results. In fact, Trudeau's imposition, he says, uh, well, then he he, uh, um, he talks a bit about the, um, the the bizarre calling of the election for a start off mm-hmm. and the very short campaign. And then mm-hmm. he says, Trudeau's imposition of the COVID shutdown was far too severe and prolonged. Uh, he started negotiating with the Chinese for a vaccine, which was soon shown to be ineffective. Uh, most Canadians consider that the amiable Prime Minister's principal qualifications for high office are that he survived childbirth and has a famous name. Um, so he's not particularly complimentary. Mm-hmm. He says he's further taken it upon himself during his uh, term in the six years of his government, basically, to acknowledge, and I'm quoting, that English and French Canadians have been guilty of cultural genocide against the native people, an outrageous allegation. Moreover, he's mired himself in gender controversy, confusing gender with sexuality, an unremitting preoccupation and a political bear trap. It has been a faddish and superficial regime, unleavened mm. by the slightest spark of vision of what Canada could or of could be or of, of originality in any public policy field. But after yesterday's election, the regime remains. All six federal Canadian political parties came in almost exactly where they were two years ago. And he goes on, all five political parties that elected MPs on Monday are left of centre parties. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's a really important point. Mm -hmm. All five political parties that elected MPs on Monday are left of centre parties. There's a point I was making on social media in the lead up to this. The Liberals have governed for 84 of the last 125 years, 22 full-term election victories versus eight for the Conservatives. Um, and he concludes basically by saying, and I'm obviously cutting short this article, but he, he concludes by saying, Canadians tend to be too preoccupied with their indistinctness to the Americans to be anything mm. but ambiguous in the world. This is reflected in their domestic politics. It is a good prosperous, rather generous country, but an unexciting one. And that trait is Mm. magnified in the mediocrity of its current political leaders. Mm. Democracies get the government they deserve, a sobering thought for Canada. Mm. And uh, (laughs) as a bit of of a sort of one-two punch, but I thought, Mm -hmm. to be honest, to be fair, um, he's right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to argue with Mm -hmm. the, 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 the points that he's making there as an observer. Yeah, uh, that um, I'd maybe only push back against his comment on Trudeau lacking vision. Right, I think there's a vision there. It yeah. just happens to be totalitarian and anti-Christian. Yeah, that that that's fair. I think you know, if, without the Christian world and life view, that's the conclusion that the secular observer comes to. There's mm-hmm. no political vision. Yeah. But actually, right. no, there is a there there is a clear ideal or idea of what society is meant to look like. It's a it's a radically socialistic neo-Marxist one. Hmm. Um, and of course, the disappointment for uh, genuine Christians and conservatives um, is that uh, all we've done is all that's happened is there's been a, a, um, a kind of a ongoing repetition. Now it's just mm. like the record's stuck. We're back where we were, and I strongly suspect now that what we're going to see over the next two years 
because I, 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 I would suspect again that as a minority government, we probably will probably be back at the polls yeah. two years from now. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, is we're going to see a, a fast track push to get. And we'll come to this later in the season. Bill C six, mm-hmm. Bill mm-hmm. C, which is the the um, anti conversion therapy bill. Mm-hmm. Bill C ten, a censorship mm-hmm. bill. Bill C thirty six, a radical censorship bill. Mm-hmm. That with the liberals and the NDP together. Uh, trying to railroad that through mm-hmm. and um so any hopes that kind of i think some people were holding out of a slowdown to that agenda with this election has uh i think faded right mm-hmm. so I, I think i think we'd all agree i mean the morning after the election here that we're seeing judgment on the nation but we're also seeing judgment on conservatives mm-hmm. uh maybe you can help us joe a little bit Try to try to work through this. Like, uh, we're post millennial. We're optimistic. We don't talk Talk about that. (laughs) 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 Oops! Edit that out, Ryan. (laughs) But don't say the post word. (laughs) (laughs) What? what, Give us some encouragement after after all this, because I think Conrad Black's analysis is correct as well. Yeah. Well, if. We have to be reminded that God has, you know, if you look at the trajectory of the Older Testament, it's good king, bad king, good king, bad king, bad king, good king. You've got the period of the judges, a good judge, a bad judge, and so on. And so the work of God in the judgment of the nations is always something that Christians should welcome. Because mm. when he's judges, judging something, it's because he's sweeping it aside to be replaced by something else. Mm. And, uh, of course, what you don't know and what, what any uh, p- group of believers don't know in any particular epoch or period of time is how long that judgment is going to last. And, of course, that's why the people of God cry out, how long, O oh Lord? Uh, but uh, we are in a situation where we have to stand and take our medicine. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Christians are caught up in the midst of God's judgment on the nations. And uh, well, that's what we're caught up in in Canada. But when he judges something and you seem to see an acceleration of, of decay and deterioration, which is what we've seen over the last 25 years, um, you know, I've seen some, some people, of course, saying with this result, you know, you know, here we go again. When is judgment coming for this? And I mm-hmm. said to somebody this morning, this is the judgment. Part of it, right? You're in the grip yeah, of it. Right. But when God is judging something, it's because he is sweeping it aside hmm. um, to replace it. Hmm. Um, and so it requires faith, patience, walking by faith and not by sight. So there's nothing incongruous or um, incoherent about having a view of the future and of, and of the kingdom of God that sees the triumph of the, uh, the gospel and the victory of God in the world um, and bad election results mm. that mm-hmm. sort of further the decline of a um a nation in fact in psalm 20 which i was looking at the other day the psalmist says in verse 5 let us shout for joy at your victory and lift the banner in the name of our god may the lord fulfill all your requests now i know that the lord gives victory to his anointed so that's mm. of course talking about christ ultimately and his people he will answer him from his holy heaven with mighty victories from his right hand. Some take pride or some translations say there's some trust in chariots and others in yep. horses. Mm-hmm. 
but we trust, we take pride in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand firm. Lord, give victory to the king. May he answer us on the day that we call. So this is a day to, like the psalmist, you know, call out to the Lord because mm -hmm. the promise is there and it's assured the Lord is going to give victory. He gives victory to his anointed. Mm. So that's the assurance that we uh, that we stand in. And uh, we don't trust in men, in chariots, in horses. You know, that's mm -hmm. a picture of man's power and strength. We trust in the name of the Lord our God. So um, despite the uh, the rather non-eventful, uneventful, uh, dreary uh, continuation of this, uh, this endless drift, mm -hmm. um, uh, we stand firm because if they fall, we rise. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And uh, that's the kind of patient endurance and faithfulness that we need in the midst of these difficulties to uh, keep going, keep being faithful, keep pushing through. Doesn't mean we don't strategize, doesn't mean we don't make mm. decisions with regards to our children and families and education, doesn't mean we don't uh, seek to be obedient and act, but it's no, it's like Gideon, isn't it? It's still too many. You know, right. Uh, that's right. There is uh, God. Um, it's 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 for the Lord, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. So it's that that was what the people were to cry out when they broke their jars and the, and and shone their lamps and so forth. A sword for the Lord and for Gideon, so that we trust in the Lord. But of course, it's human beings that are acting, and uh, usually what God does in history is He makes sure that as we act. He does it in such a way that people know it's the Lord who's doing it. Right. Uh, it's the Lord who's actually bringing about the transformation. And so uh, we're in a cultural moment where we have to, to uh, keep faith in that and trust that. So that as we act, it's, it's the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. We have to be faithful, but knowing that the battle is the Lord's. Joe, we've, we've never been shy about making uh, predictions and calling outcomes from from this show uh you've made one already today as uh, you talk about the uh the continuing uh trudeau liberal uh government that uh, that we are we've just brought back in uh nate you mentioned mm -hmm. uh, what would what, you say very early on like no more conspiracies left no mm -hmm. more conspiracy theories left right but um what uh and as if you if you listen back, if you look back at some of the things that uh, that we've talked about here, some of the things that uh, that you've written uh, for the website for Jubilee, there's a there's a consistency, there's a repetition on themes related to the state, to uh, to the all of the COVID related uh, regulations and uh, ordinances, and like you said, these have these have largely come to pass in some mm -hmm. form. And what I wanted to talk about today and what I want to talk about sort of as we go into this next season, season five of the podcast is what, what is it about the, uh, the reformational perspective, which we've talked about here and there on the show and elsewhere. What, it, what is it about that perspective that provides that, uh, that, consistency what uh, what has been shown to be clarity uh what is the what is it about this lens that uh, that kind of makes it work that fits reality mm -hmm. 
Well, I think if you're going to um, make predictions about the tide, uh, you need a firm place to stand. Uh, and, you know, if you're if you're just bobbing around on the ocean and you've got no fixed point mm. um, and you've got no reference mm. that beyond mm. your that, you know, that I think in back in one of my older apologetics books, why I still believe I, I give an illustration of a mm. man out on the That's raft right. on the yeah. ocean. And um, uh, all he's got is at at, um, at dusk is the the night sky, and um, there's no landmarks. There's nothing to be seen in any given direction, and he's just floating around on the ocean. Well, how would you in that situation chart a course? How would you identify your location, your position? How could you measure your speed mm -hmm. if you are without? An external referent, um, and in that illustration, you know the the, the, the this this man, um, uh, Mister Autonomy, I think I called him mm -hmm. on his raft, looks up and sees the night sky and sees the stars, um, and there you have a a fixed point of reference um, from which to, of course, navigate. I mean that's how the ancient mariners did it. Um, but in that illustration, I so say he ignores that transcendent referent and says he's going to make himself the referent instead. Um, on this uh, this raft bobbing around in the ocean. Of course, if you are your own referent, um, then there is no way to uh, mark your direction or your course or your speed or mm. anything else. Um, you are hopelessly lost. And um, all you can do is throw down your own abstract markers. Um, I think I pictured the, this man with a bunch of buoys on his raft, kicking them off random spots. Um, to try and chart his own way through a, a basically chaotic and un unknowable world. And so I think what fundamentally, what the reformational perspective does is it says, no, we have a transcendental, we have a transcendent referent, I should say, in the living God who has spoken and who has revealed himself. And when we root and ground ourselves in the word of God, um, we have a firm place to stand and we have a referent that goes beyond the ever-shifting cultural, political, historical movements. And of course, that is part of what history is. It's, it's, it's change um, and cultures change. Uh, there is both um, progress and regression. Mm -hmm. There is, I mean, of course, those very concepts of making progress or regress, mm -hmm. unless you've got you a, a, a standard, yeah. mm -hmm. how do you know if you've made mm -hmm. right. progress or if your development is, is, a, is a regression or, or regressive mm -hmm. or not? And so, again, even in, our, in terms of our understanding of history, the reformational perspective says the Lord God, the triune God of Scripture is our foundation point. Mm -hmm. He has spoken in his word and as we root ourselves in that word and and the world and life view that emerges from scripture it provides our foundation we're able then with that referent to actually make predictions about the movement that we see all around us mm -hmm. i forget who said this now many many years ago that you know uh, give me um, a candle and a bible and shut me up in a dark dungeon and i'll tell you what the whole world is doing mm -hmm. So in some respects, there's a sort of demystification of prophecy here, <laughs> which is prophecy is about foretelling the, the word of God. Um, I love actually the way one great reformational thinker who we, we named our 
premier program, a teaching mm. residential program after H. Evan Runner put it, he says, God's law is God's word. Because God is God, his every word is law. From the very first words of the Bible, we hear, and God said, let there be this and that. All such creative words are the law. The law is what causes creatures and the whole creation to hang together. Mm. It determines the conditions of all creaturely existence. It is itself concentrated in the religious law of life, which he says is walk before me according to my commandments and live. Here we have the heart of the creation. The law determines what it means to live before God or to die before God. Hmm. And that's the difference between autonomy and a hmm. reformational worldview, which is theonomy, essentially, which is hmm. the law word of God as the foundation of creation. And that is, the, that is actually, I mean, in fact, Doyerverd called his whole um, uh, working out of this reformational Christian perspective uh, the cosmonomic uh, idea, the... Um, the whole idea that every uh, vision of life, every view of life, is rooted in a law idea. And this is the Christian law idea, mm -hmm. right? This is mm -hmm. the Christian law word. It's, the, it's, the, it's, it's cosmonomic. It's the cosmic law. It is the law, God's law word for all of creation. Mm -hmm. And that, of course, differentiates the Christian, the truly Christian thinker, uh, rooted in a biblical world and life view from all the secular cultural prophets, uh, this cult of the expert that I've written about in the past as well, is that we ground ourselves in that law word because every word of God is a law word. And it conditions all reality, and it's concentrated in that religious view of reality that we stand before God and have to walk before him in obedience to his every word. And... Uh, grounded in that perspective uh you know you can you can see clearly that when you depart from the law word of god mm -hmm. uh and you make man the ultimate law in some form whether it's in the state or in the uh the the, the people mm -hmm. um, or in the an, an elite class or whatever it's going to be something replaces mm -hmm. god's law mm -hmm. then you then you can immediately see where that where that idol Mm -hmm. where that idolizing mm -hmm. of replacing God, where that idol is going to lead you. You see where it takes an, something uh, well created and then says, we're going to make this aspect of creation our God and a new law word. Um, and that is why Christian prophecy uh, is possible, that there is no special um, uh, sort of conjuring trick here going mm -hmm. on where we say, you know, how did the Ezra Institute... Uh, you know, say these things. And, well, it's not because we are um, uh, uh, seers any more than any other Christian has access to the Word of God and the work of the Holy Spirit. I mean, mm -hmm. there are those who are called and anointed to, to speak the Word of God. That's clear in Scripture. We believe as an institute we are called to that task. Mm -hmm. And so we certainly tr trust and pray that the Lord has anointed us for that task and will give us insight Uh uh, but the scripture says the Lord gives wisdom and understanding, right? For, uh, it's um, from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. And so when we take a close look at scripture and we see the true source of knowledge, 
an insight, um, we can move forward with confidence in terms of a biblical world and life. You look at cultural trends and, and um, be men of Issachar uh, uh, in understanding uh, be men, be able mm. to, I mean, there was a school of the prophets, remember, Elijah's school of the prophets uh, to um, basically teach people um, who were called to speak the word of God to submit themselves to that word. Mm. And um, I'd like Evan Runner view the Christian world and life view thinking and, and uh, if you will, a Christian philosophy and the defense of the Christian philosophy of life, which we, we call Christian apologetics, mm. is a form of Christian prophecy. Cultural right. apologetics is Christian prophecy. It's not about... Mm. Um, parlor tricks it's not about uh, an elite group of specialized intellectuals overcoming everybody else with their expertise uh it is a christian prophecy Karl marx has his prophecies uh mm -hmm. in his philosophy um and engels um the um the uh the school of immanuel kant uh with this the kind of enlightenment rationalism had their prophecy uh, Horkheimer and uh, the, the the Frankfurt School, the cultural mm -hmm. Marxists, they have their prophecy. Uh, but our philosophy is not according to men, but according to Christ, not according to human tradition. Mm -hmm. Paul says, "Don't don't don't be taken captive by empty philosophy, mm -hmm. but let your thought be according to Christ." Mm. And so, the secular prophets will make their prophecies. Uh, we, as we ground ourselves in the Word of God, will be able to, not with infallibility, but with mm -hmm. a tremendous amount of reliability, be able to look at what's taking place in a culture by identifying the God and the law word of that culture mm -hmm. and, and what's replaced the living God and say, this is where that's going to end up. Right. Mm -hmm. And on that theme, I mean, this idea of Christian prophecy, uh, I spent... Uh, a lot of the morning reading through some of some old articles that we've produced at the beginning of the uh, COVID crisis. Mm. And uh, one of them being an article you wrote in March, 2020 called when the cure is worse than the disease. And I think we'll speak more to this in a future episode, but the idea that this reductionistic approach to COVID where we've reduced the human person to merely the biological mm. will inevitably produce problems and a cure that is worse than the disease. And just to, to quote from that article, uh, we can see that here. Uh, when you say, and I'm quoting here, what are often billed as temporary measures have a way of hanging around after a crisis, setting precedent for the next thing a given state deems to be a threat to public health and safety. So in our zeal, uh, to eliminate the biological threat mm -hmm. of COVID, we're completely ignoring the historical aspect here. Mm -hmm. And what we've seen when these so-called temporary measures are in place. And, I mean, there are several examples uh, in this article of the danger of uh, this kind of reductionism that, again, you, you pointed to uh, nearly two years ago at this point. Um, another one I can share with our listeners uh, is when you specifically uh, address the reductionism, but you said that we are dealing with this virus threat as though the harm from the disease can be measured primarily in immediate biological terms. For example, how many people get infected, but the great danger is that this reductionistic perspective on human well-being creates a broader health and well-being disaster. 
human beings are more than biochemical organisms, right? So already identifying that if we're falling for the notion that we are merely biochemical organisms, we're going to neglect other aspects leading to cultural programs that we can, cultural problems, excuse me, that we can see down the road. And then you go on to say the damage done to people's health by job loss, anxiety, market collapse, loss of education, social isolation, loss of retirement savings, lack of access to health care for serious diseases, and the dislocation of communities can be utterly devastating. And of course, we've seen uh, we've seen this happen. Like this is what we've been a witness to, like I said, for for nearly two years now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's it's hard for people even now. To, to grapple with that. I think there are many people that still want to sweep a lot of that under the rug. Yeah, the I would say that probably of maybe all the things that we've said and uh, talked about together during this period, that um, that insight with regards to reductionism and an attempt to reduce the human person to the biotic, to, to being a biochemical machine, really, mm-hmm. um, has been has produced the most devastating results and i think it's now beyond uh any doubt that the destruction um of the economy um of people's jobs um of people's emotional and mental health of people's actually in indeed their physical health i just read today that um uh, a uk major uk study uh they're saying that um just in the area of cancer there have been a minimum of 10,000 um, undiagnosed, there, uh, there, there will be, they're predicting mm. uh, 10,000 deaths from cancers that went undiagnosed in a, in a mm. relatively short period right. of time. Um, and uh, you could go on to to talk about the fallout in terms of our children's education uh, right. ac- across the board, um, the destruction of um, industry like the tourist industry, the fallout in the developing world that has been absolutely devastating, mm-hmm. um, and the deep recessions. And I believe that now we're at the point where Trudeau's um, spending mm-hmm. um, indebtedness now um, uh, is so great that it's greater than all the previous prime, uh, prime ministers combined. Oof. Um, and so, you know, we're going to be looking at massive inflationary pressure. Yeah. So you've got the economic uh, right. uh, fallout to all of this as well. Yeah. Well, and it's at an 18-year high inflation in Canada. That's right. just come out. And, you know, the, 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 the pressure that's going to put on ordinary households and ordinary people just to meet their basic bills. So I, I think that in terms of the, the whole idea of treating people as um, bags, vi- bags of viral disease to be locked down, mm. locked up, shut down, and... You know, and even when you think about the life of the church, too, when people mm-hmm. were talking about well, it's just a few weeks to yeah. flatten the curve, mm-hmm. and here mm-hmm. we are, eighteen months, twenty months later, and Alberta is back into major restrictions, mm-hmm. masks, thirty percent capacity, yeah. I believe. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we know what's coming um, uh, in Ontario, and you could then add to that. Um, well, perhaps we'll go on to talk about it. Um, we'll, we'll maybe leave that for now. The 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 the, the tyrannical restrictions and two-tier society a medicalized technocracy kind of biosecurity state that is now being mm-hmm. created which is part of the fallout of this so i think of all the things that we've said the one that i think is incontrovertible is that um the focused protection that should have been done for the most vulnerable and the elderly sort of great barrington declaration style whilst mm-hmm. recognizing the 
true diverse character of creation and of the human person that's been neglected in our sort of materialistic um, um, evolutionary and rationalistic kind of bent mm -hmm. culturally you know follow the science mm -hmm. uh, as though you know the only thing that matters in terms of knowledge which is what science means is um, how uh, viruses that have been around for thousands of years mm -hmm. um, are going to behave and the only experts worth listening to are a few people who spend their time tracking how viruses behave. And of mm -hmm. course, we've seen so many false prophecies about what was going to happen. How we you know uh, false prophecy after false prophecy of the mm -hmm. doomsday mongers about the what was going to come down upon us in terms mm -hmm. of the apocalypse. Mm -hmm. Now, I think in order to link that back to reformational thought, you used a few phrases, Nathan. Mm -hmm. that uh, would be would trigger people's thinking yeah. a little bit, but you talked about. I catch the odd thing from you. From you, you, <laughs> you talked about you know a bio a biological aspect, and you talk we've neglected the historical cultural yes, aspect. Right. Yeah. So in in reformational thought, and as we go through the next few few weeks, I know we're going to talk about these things, but reformational thought recognizes the diversity mm -hmm. of creation, mm -hmm. and that it cannot be reduced to any uh, one or combination of aspects of creation that every single aspect of creation is mm -hmm. wholly dependent upon God and his word and that there are law spheres. So mm -hmm. there's, for example, there's the law sphere of the material aspect of creation. There's the law sphere of the biotic mm -hmm. or biological aspect of creation. There's the, uh, the law sphere for our reasoning, our thinking, what we might call the logical or analytical aspect. There's the law sphere for the cultural and historical aspect. Mm -hmm. And that these are not reducible to one another. Mm -hmm. And you've seen what's been going on culturally is there's been an attempt to, um, in dealing with this uh, crisis, there's been a, an attempt to tr to deal with all of life in terms of a biotic law and, uh, and, and respond accordingly, mm -hmm. as though really we can, human beings, well-being and health can be reduced simply to the avoidance of a virus. And that has been an unmitigated disaster. Right. Um, and it has led to these other, uh, these other problems, um, which we'll, which we'll touch on where this has been leapt on then as an opportunity to, to, to create a vision of society and of the state that is increasingly totalitarian. Um, and, uh, it, it goes back I, I, to, I've been um, reading some of the, um, the, uh, Frankfurt School neo-Marxists, mm. and of course they had, they get so many things wrong. I mean, this is the this is the <laughs> this is the foundation of critical theory that uh, we've touched on as well, of course, and the whole uh, uh, gender theory, mm -hmm. and queer theory, mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, the uh, racism issues and so forth as they've been positioned, really comes out of this. Uh, Frankfurt School. But one of the things these people did understand was the way in which Enlightenment rationalism had cramped people's thinking. They can't, of course, fully tell you why, uh, but what they do identify the problem. Hmm. Um, and actually, it was Immanuel Kant who said that the, and I quote Kant now, the human being's emergence, enlightenment, he says, is the human being's emergence from self-incurred minority. Minority is inability to make use of one's own understanding without direction from another. So in the Enlightenment view, you, authority was unacceptable. Mm. Um, it was man and his reason. External right? authority, Extern transcendent right, authority. Exactly. Transcendent yeah. authority. Mm -hmm. um, 
that was unacceptable. You couldn't accept direct. Well, of course, that's the opposite of the Christian position. Mm-hmm. The Christian mm-hmm. position is there is no valid reasoning without the acceptance of transcendent authority. And um, the, the the Horkheimer and Adorno were actually were able to recognize that this this idea, this totalizing idea of reason, is utopian. Hmm. And the rationalist vision was utopian. And they say, and I quote now, at the same time, however, reason is the agency of calculating thought, which arranges the world for the purposes of self-preservation and recognizes no function other than that of working on the object as mere sense material in order to make it the material of subjugation. Uh, Now, what they want to do with that, so they're essentially saying there that what this rationalistic perspective wants to do is say there is no external authority Mm -hmm. and so reason in this imperialistic utopian fashion uh is going to impose its idea and subjugate the material realm in terms of that idea to bring about its utopian vision um what of course horkheimer and uh um adorno and others don't recognize is that their refusal to return to biblical revelation puts them in precisely the same position. Mm -hmm. It's now got to Mm -hmm. be their theory, which Mm -hmm. takes a slightly different view of authority Mm. uh, that is now going to be imposed on everybody else. But you see this, this dead end in what's happened politically now. And in response to this, we don't trust God. We don't believe in his sovereign authority. Mm -hmm. We don't believe he's the healer and the restorer. We don't really have any confidence even in, creation as such that you know what if we were as fragile as these people really think we were we'd, we'd have died out a long time ago yeah. Yeah. uh that the human the human body that as god has created it uh is robust mm. uh, that there is going to be seed time and harvest there until until god determines the end mm. and and brings about the consummation of all things in christ um and th- and so this this all-consuming fear based on a reductionist view of the human person mm-hmm. that uh we are basically animals from an evolutionary worldview mm-hmm. uh we are that the, the all that matters is survival right um biological survival if you will right and all the arts of life um, must go by the board and that we can somehow reduce life i mean why don't we just all go wrap ourselves up in cellophane and live in the basement for the rest of our days mm-hmm. if that is the goal so Hmm. This and that's that's interesting because history then is only meaningful in a way in which it helps us to merely survive. Mm-hmm. Yes, and history is just sort of what happens while yeah. we're busy while surviving. We're surviving. Right. Yeah. right, and then of course, how do you identify <clears throat> right. what is history? Because, right. um, well, I'm still here today, but is that is that history? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. History is more than biological, but history concerns events that shape cultural development that's what we identify as historical i mean what i had for breakfast today Mm -hmm. is not of anybody is 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 not going to make it into anybody's history book Mm -hmm. not so far as we know (laughs) i mean write it down just in case (laughs) um but the the fact that this this reductionist worldview has played such a such a role in the last two years 18 months will be noted uh historically um, and so, um, this, uh, this cramped worldview mm. and this, this failure to, to, to recognize the creational perspective, mm-hmm. 
of course, has informed all the res- all the responses. Mm, and right. when you recognize that it's foundation, that right now you're dealing with a reductionist view that's taken this, this one or these two aspects mm-hmm. of creation and is now thinking about all of this, all of life, not in terms of God's sovereignty, not in terms of his word, not in terms of his law, mm. not in terms of his purpose, not in terms of his gospel, but is going to bow to this desire of man to subjugate material reality, to bend everything to his will, mm. um, that, it will that it will try and do that, and that was our prediction, mm-hmm. in terms of um, life-destroying or life-denying um, and increasingly necessarily totalitarian rules, mm-hmm. regulations, and so forth, is completely predictable. Right. Because it's utopian. I mean, that, that that's precisely what we've seen right from Kant mm-hmm. and, and, of course, before him. And it's the idea that man is able... And, of course, what has, what has been proven to be true is that every lockdown every has proven pointless mm-hmm. and and uh, futile in the control of this virus mm-hmm. and a definition of madness is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result yeah. mm-hmm. and so you've seen this madness of thinking that an airborne respiratory virus like the common cold in the way it spreads uh, could somehow be controlled and uh, by man and we've seen uh, i mean look at israel right now for example Hmm. You know, perhaps the most vaccinated, along with the Seychelles uh, uh, nation mm-hmm. on the earth, mm-hmm. back in restrictions and lockdowns mm-hmm. and everything else, um, because we now know that the vaccine, of course, the CDC, by the way, has changed the definition of a vaccine mm-hmm. three times in mm-hmm. the last 18 months. <laughs> used to be that it was to, uh, an, an, a, a dead or attenuated form of a virus to, to provide immunity. That's become, and maybe we can quote this verbatim, on the next show, then it was. Uh, then the new definition was it was was it was, the, the vaccine was a a treatment that was going to um, uh, provide immunity from a disease, and now it's redefined that to it's actually a, a treatment that's going to prevent severe disease. So we've seen this. We've been redefining the nature of vaccines, mm-hmm. um, and we now know, of course, that being double vaccinated um, does not prevent you from getting the virus and it doesn't prevent you from spreading it um but we've but people have been led to believe if you just do this if you obey this yeah. if you follow this command if you follow this diktat if you if you if you follow this medical have this medical procedure if you do this then we will conquer this then man will conquer this problem and we can all go back to our lives as normal has there been a call to prayer for the nation mm. has there just as there was in the second world war have we gone to the Lord God to mm-hmm. remove the, the blight, to remove the disease and the plague from us? No. We think that man and his planning and his and, and, and the disgrace, Ryan, has been that the churches for the most part have gone along with this secular religion. Yep. They've mm-hmm. said, no, it's not prayer. It's not, it's not the nation going before God. It's man's yeah. attempted subjugation of creation in terms of his reductionist view of reality that is going to conquer Mm-hmm. disease mm-hmm. get online shout your vaccinated status mm-hmm. encourage others to do the same yeah mask up yeah why aren't we seeing reformation mm-hmm. right. i don't understand <laughs> <laughs> and and, well, and and woe betide anybody that might suggest that the hand of god's covenantal judgments be involved in what's been happening uh in the nations mm. and the lack of humility on display 
of man's capacity and power to deal with things like this. Um, mm. And instead, that if we can just reduce life and pair it back to some biological minimum, then will we be able to defeat this? Mm. It's been shown to be a myth, but we knew it was a myth. We knew it was a lie. Why did we know it was a lie? Because we have a biblical worldview. We have mm. a creational worldview. Mm. We recognize all the various well-created aspects of reality are wholly dependent upon God. Mm. They're not self-explanatory. They're involved in one another and they cannot be reduced to one another. And human beings cannot be reduced to their biological functions mm -hmm. or their logical, rational, analytical functions. Um, and that God has designed it all that way. And we've seen the complexity of human health, of human well-being, of the nature of human well-being. And frankly, the infinite complexity of mm. what human well-being actually means mm -hmm. uh, in the world, all of our social interactions, uh, our, our feasting together, what that does for the not just the human heart. I mean, the, the Bible is very explicit that uh, the effect on the bones of a, of a sad heart and the effect on your health. Mm -hmm. um, we know that loneliness and isolation kills the elderly, the people we said we were loving and protecting in all of this. Mm. Uh, some of the people that have suffered most. And now we want to impose experimental treatments that we know don't actually work upon children as young as five. Mm -hmm. Is that was what Pfizer is on about now. So, and there's no end to this. Or what is it that uh, I think Trudeau's ordered enough for four years of booster shots for, mm -hmm. for, for, uh, for everybody. Um, We're saved. <laughs> so, so these are the things... That And it's not that, you know, at the Institute, we are the last people to be anti-good, empirical, scientific investigation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. that was part of the task given to human beings. We talk about it endlessly. Dominion. Mm -hmm. uh, Adam was the first scientist. Name, define, describe these creatures. Yep. Um, and so we have an obligation to bring out the potentiality of creation under God and to, to do responsible work in all of these fields. Mm -hmm. But if we begin to think that we're too, bigger, too big for our britches, and that somehow we are, the, we are the ones who, in our own strength and power, and in our, by our own reason and our own reach, are going to subjugate creation and bend all things to our will in terms of our idols, we're sadly mistaken. And God, uh, right from the, as you know, from the time of the Tower of Babel, uh, laughs at such projects, and then he destroys them. That's right. Mm -hmm. And uh, in our hubris and in our arrogance, we're seeing uh, uh, God um, laugh at the wicked. Mm. Uh, and our presumption um, to play God um, in, in this whole situation, rather than serve him and submit ourselves to him, uh, and his word. Well, there's uh, we're we're long on time or short on time left. Uh, however, you want to say it, we don't have any more for this episode. There are several questions that uh, I know that I've I've still got burning here. The good news, I'm sure that uh, many of our listeners will as well. Good news is that this theme of a reformational worldview and a reformational philosophy is something that we are we're going to really dig into mm -hmm. over the course of this season. So stay stay tuned. We've got uh, we've got questions, we've got answers coming. We want to uh, really really park on some of these issues and meditate on them, understand 
not just not just why we and why see we why we see the world this way, but how to how to go about constructing and developing a fully formed, robust biblical worldview. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I think we recognize that fundamentally, as we look at this whole situation, that is the profound lack. Mm-hmm. And and the reason we're so committed as a ministry and as an institute, as a as a, as a think tank that wants to teach and train people mm-hmm. in, in in these terms is because we believe that that is fundamentally the deficit. It's that by by our failure to submit to the living word and this creation word and the inscripturated word, um, we ha- we will not be able to face the vicissitudes of time and of history and confront the challenges and problems of any age. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but when we do, we are able to, fa- to, to face them cogently. Let me um, uh, wrap this up for people with a scripture, Ryan. Yeah, please. Um, as we uh, sort of move uh, into these these coming months, with all the uncertainty that's there for people uh, about their jobs, mm-hmm. in many instances, about what restrictions might be placed uh, even further on worship. Mm-hmm. Uh, what Trudeau will do with these bills. What Trudeau may mm-hmm. or may not do in terms of the, the some of the bills we've, we, we've talked about. Mm-hmm. How uh draconian the two-tier society is going to become i mean mm-hmm. as of i think tomorrow tomorrow um unless you are double vaxxed in mm-hmm. ontario you will only be able to go to the bank see a doctor um go to go- get your groceries and go to a, an ordinary service but not a f- wedding or a funeral mm-hmm. um and pretty much the rest of life is off limits to you mm-hmm. um and so there are a lot of people facing all kinds of um fear about what that means for their studies about what yep. it means for their work and so mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. uh who are uh for for the reasons of their own uh feeling that they do not want this medical treatment yep. and as we've said many times before um we are not uh those who deny the value or efficacy of some vaccines mm-hmm. um we are not opposed to medicine quite the contrary we're very grateful for it and and, and modern medicine was born in the lap of the christian world and life view perspective mm-hmm. um but we are against every form of coercion mm-hmm. and every form of mandate that would create a two-tier society and treat uh, treat people as lepers if they have not had a state-sanctioned mm-hmm. treatment mm-hmm. um and so in view of all of that, uh, let me conclude with David's prayer in First Chronicles 19, just a few words from his prayer, where at the end of his life, he's gathered these materials for the building of the temple, but it wasn't for him to build. And that was going to be his son's task. And in this, in this marvelous prayer at the uh, uh, towards the end here, he says, Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the splendor and the majesty for everything in the heavens and on earth belongs to you. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom, and you are exalted as head over all. Riches and honor come from you, and you are the ruler of everything. Power and might are in your hand, and it is in your hand to make great and to give strength to all. And then he prays for, for his son, give my son Solomon an undivided heart to keep and to carry out all your commands, your decrees and your statutes and to build the building for which I have made mm. provision. Mm. And so it's a great reminder 
we're in the hands of God. Mm. Lord, give us all an undivided heart. You know, to do what? To build. That's right. To build that which you want built. And of course, that is ultimately a city without human foundations because it's the kingdom of God. It's this, a city whose builder and maker is God. And that's, as we go into this new season, that's, that's our goal is to have an undivided heart uh, to the lordship of Jesus Christ uh, and his law and gospel and to build that which he is calling us uh, to build, knowing that his is the greatness, all the power, all the glory, everything comes from him. Great. Thanks, Joe. Nate, good to have both of you back again. From all of us at the Ezra Institute, this has been the podcast for cultural reformation. We're going to get our, uh, our own scripture in here again as well. We remind you that from him and through him and to him are all things. To God be the glory. We look forward to being with you again next week. It's passed down as a prophecy Every year about this time